Thank you, Brother Mike. Thank you, Caitlin. Both great thoughts. Go ahead and get in your Bible to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. If God made everything easy in life, we'd be all weak. We don't seek God unless we're in the valley for the most part. We don't build strength until we realize we're weak. <laughs> Appreciate those thoughts. We recently in Sunday evening started a new series on being wise in a foolish world, a series that's focused in the book of Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs, of course, is a book of the wisdom of God. And uh, Proverbs, if you're here tonight and you're a believer in Jesus, it ought to be a special focus of your personal uh, Bible reading. Uh, God wants us to be wise in a foolish world. My hope and my goal through this whole series is that everybody who comes and listens would be wise beyond their years. If you come here and listen and you're a 10-year-old, my prayer is you would be wise beyond your years as a 10-year-old. If you come here and listen and you're 117, uh, you're doing well. You don't look as old as you are. Uh, But we would hope that you would be wise beyond your years. That's my goal. And by the way, uh, you can do that. Understand this. Aging is inevitable. But some people age and they don't become any wiser. Uh, as I face the inevitability of aging, I want to choose to be wiser. Amen? Last week we talked about the desire for knowledge of God and knowledge of the holy being a part of having true wisdom. We saw how Israel was destroyed for lack of knowledge of God. And and we saw that that knowledge was available to them through the scriptures and through the prophets, but they weren't interested in learning. We talked about the importance of seeking knowledge and seeking knowledge of the scriptures, seeking knowledge from seasoned believing people. And through the Holy Spirit of God, we talked about the importance of staying teachable. Uh... Remaining open to learning from the truth. I'm going to tell you one of the greatest things you'll ever decide to do in your life is to be a lifelong learner. The Bible says fools despise wisdom and instruction. And we talked about how the knowledge of God, just like the wisdom of God, begins with a healthy fear of the Lord. Now, tonight we could spend time contrasting wisdom with folly and foolishness. There are a lot of Proverbs that do that. In fact, there are 33 different verses in Proverbs where some form of the word wise and the word fool are contrasted in the same verse. Something like the wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the promotion of fools. A wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. Uh, but I decided not to spend a whole night on that because to me the value of wisdom versus foolishness is pretty self-explanatory. But what I think is not as self-explanatory is what is it that God defines as being wise behavior? You see, when we have the wisdom of God, it affects every area of our life. But tonight I want to talk about uh, the first place where the wisdom of God affects us. See, God started three institutions in our world, and the first of the institutions that God started is the home. When God decided to instruct mankind on what he considered to be moral, he had four commandments that had to do with his relationship with man, and six commandments that had to do with man's relationship with our fellow man. When God instructed us on how to behave among ourselves, the first of those six commandments 
had to do with the home. Honor your father and mother. It's no surprise that whether we are wise or foolish in our behavior and attitude, the first place it shows up is in our own home. And that's true for both adults and children. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 11 says, Even a child is known by his doings. So it's no surprise that the book of the wisdom of God has a lot to say about what wise behavior is in our own home. Remember, you, you become a child of God. You get saved when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. When you repent of your sins and receive Him with faith in your heart. But understand that as a believer in Jesus Christ, we become wise when we learn and understand and follow the things that God says are wise. What does God teach us to be wise and foolish when it comes to our own home? Stand with me, please, if you would, in honor of uh, God's Word. And uh, Brother Jim, you know, Mike Wright stood up faster than you tonight. And, and so uh, that doesn't happen much, uh, but he got you. <laughs> title of my thought tonight is Wisdom for the Home. Proverbs chapter 3 in verse 33. Proverbs 3, 33. The curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked. But he blesseth the habitation of the just. Have you really thought about that? What all is within God's control when he chooses to bless or curse? Money? Health? Work? Life? Joy? Peace, everything. And he says he curses the house of the wicked and he blesses the habitation of the just. Thank you, you might be seated. It's pretty obvious that our behavior in the home either will bring the curse or the blessing of the Lord on our house. What is it that God defines as wise behavior in the home? Because I don't know about you, I want the blessing of God in my home. Amen? Turn up a few pages to Proverbs chapter 11. Notice what it says in verse 29 of Proverbs chapter 11. It says, He that troubleth his own house shall inherit the wind, and the fool shall be servant to the wise of heart. Remember, an inheritance is what you leave behind when you're gone. The Proverbs mention an inheritance eight times, and here we were reminded that to cause trouble in our own home leaves an inheritance of wind. Now, wind may be valuable when it is out there and blowing through a windmill or blowing through a wind turbine or powering a sailboat, but understand, you cannot bottle wind and keep it. It is a poor inheritance. You know, there are a lot of ways that husbands and wives and parents and grandparents and children can trouble their own house. And we'll talk about a couple of those tonight and over the next couple of weeks. But wise parents are looking to leave something behind other than wind as an inheritance for the children. What is it that troubles a household? What is it that troubles a family, troubles a marriage, troubles a child? 
Turn up just a bit to chapter 12 in verse 7. It says, the wicked desireth the net. Oh, that's verse 12. Chapter 12, verse 7. It says, the wicked are overthrown and are not, but the house of the righteous shall stand. To live in a way God defines as righteous increases the longevity of our home. There's not a person here who does not want our home and our family to continue as long as possible. We want our home to stand. Proverbs 14.1 says, Every wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her hands. Proverbs 17.13 says, Whoso rewardeth evil for good, evil shall not depart from his house. What is the righteousness that God would define as right in our home that will prolong my family and prolong my home and prolong and make my house stand and be considered wise? I want you to understand how important this is because whether God's blessing or God's curse is on our home makes a big difference. Uh, it makes a big difference what kind of an inheritance we leave behind for our children and grandchildren and our wise behavior in our home affects that. The longevity of our home, how our family will stand, whether it will stand united or be divided, uh, has to do with our wise behavior. What is it that characterizes the homes of the wise? In an ideal world, these are the things we learn and, and saw modeled in the home in which we were raised. Solomon had that. He heard these things and saw them modeled in the lives of David and Bathsheba, his parents. And though David and Bathsheba had a terrible start to their relationship, they repented and got forgiveness from God. And they ended up living a very godly life and had a godly home. And Bathsheba became a godly mom and David was a good father to Solomon. And Solomon was the human pen in God's hand for writing this book. He had godly parents. He saw these and heard these things. On the other hand, Solomon's son Rehoboam heard these things. He had this book of instruction. His dad had been the pen in the hand of God to write them. But unlike Solomon... Rehoboam heard them from his father, but in the last 20 years of his father's life, he watched them contradicted. So when we think about an ideal world and the real world, oftentimes they're very different. There are a lot of people who do not start out in homes where wisdom is the norm, but rather foolishness. And I want to just say to you tonight, if you started out in that kind of a home, you do not have to pass that kind of a home on to your children and grandchildren. Through wisdom is in house builded, not by the way you were raised. You can sit at the feet of your loving Father in heaven who instructs us through this book by saying, my son, my son, my son. He instructs us and you and I can have and build the kind of homes that we want. Homes that are blessed by God. Homes where our inheritance is something other than win. Homes that are, will stand and last. You can choose by the grace of God. But it will not come by accident. You will not get the kind of home you desire yielding to your flesh and imitating the attitudes and behavior of our culture. Everyone wants God's promises. 
If we want God's promises, we must choose God's recipe. Because God wants to bless your home and mine. Which gets us back to the same question that I'm going to spend three weeks answering. What characterizes the homes of the wise? Amen? Proverbs chapter 5. I'm just going to do two things tonight, but they're both really long, so don't get your hopes up. What characterizes the homes of the wise? By the way, nobody here can change anything that happened yesterday. And God is always a God of today and tomorrow. And when we become the kind of people who just simply say, okay, God, I failed, I was proud, I lived in my flesh, I'm sorry, forgive me, God forgives us, and we start with a new opportunity. I didn't say all the consequences always go away, but when it comes with our opportunity with God, you can sow something different in your home from tonight forward. Amen? What is it that characterizes the homes of the wise? Number one, to highly value morality and faithfulness to your spouse. To highly value morality and faithfulness to your spouse. But we're going to read a section of this. It's a little more than I might normally read in a lesson. But if you average it out with me only reading one verse to start, it's still okay. Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 1. My son, attend unto my wisdom and bow thine ear to my understanding, that thou mayest regard discretion and thy lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of a strange woman drop as in honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold on hell. Lest thou shouldest ponder the path of life. Her ways are movable, that thou canst not know them. Hear me now, therefore, O ye children, and depart not from the words of my mouth. Remove thy way far from her. Come not nigh the door of her house, lest thou give thine honor unto others, and thy years unto the cruel. Lest strangers be filled with thy wealth, and thy labors be in the house of a stranger. And thou mourn at the last, when thy flesh and thy body are consumed. And say, how have I hated instruction, and my heart despised reproof, and have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to them that instructed me. Do you hear that clear? instruction that is a wise father instructing his son a heavenly father instructing his child guard your morals and your faithfulness to your spouse just a bit up in chapter 6 and verse 23 for the commandment is a lamp and the law is light and reproofs of instruction are the way of life to keep thee from the evil woman from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman lust not after her beauty in thine heart By the way, when Jesus taught in Matthew 5 that if you look on a woman to lust after, you've committed adultery already in in your heart, this is where that started. Because he wrote this too. Lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. For by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. I've got that phrase highlighted in my Bible. Verse 27, can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? So he that goeth into his neighbor's wife, whosoever toucheth her shall not be innocent. 
This is a recurring theme through the book of Proverbs, to highly value morality and faithfulness to your spouse. We could pick many other sections of this book, uh, but it is filled with them. One of the things that breaks my heart most as a pastor every time I hear it is when I hear that someone had a spouse that cheated on them. Now, we live in a culture where Satan has made cheating on your spouse entertainment on television. Good subject matter for books. And he has made that so easily accessible through the anonymity of the internet that he makes that so appealing that people are destroyed by it all the time. And to be honest with you, because people had bad expectations, wrong expectations when they went into marriage, because their marriage uh, expectations were created by television and movies and novels, they went in and they get disillusioned when reality is not what they expected. Listen to me tonight, the reality of every aspect of marriage as God has designed it is good. But the good end that God intends to give through marriage is not found by the methods or the fictional results you see on television. (laughs) Notice the product in chapter 5 and verse 10 of living an immoral and unfaithful life. He says, let strangers be filled with thy wealth and thy labors be in the house of a stranger. And thou mourn at the last when thy flesh and thy body are consumed. In other words, what seems to be an attractive way of life in your 20s and your 30s, I want you to understand that it produces nothing but pain and division and heartache and trouble as you season in life. Of all the areas where Solomon departed from the plan of God, this was likely the thing that destroyed him most. The man who advised his children to value morality and faithfulness to their spouse had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Now listen to this. Think about the math of that. He reigned for 40 years as king of Israel. That's a new wife or concubine every 14.6 days for 40 years. And the likelihood of it is, because Solomon lived faithfully for the first 20 years of his reign, is that the great majority of that happened in the last 20 years. And so he is an old man between uh, 45 and 70, averaging one new wife and one new concubine every seven days. And to be honest with you, I don't know what the difference in wife 511 and concubine 177 would really be. You know, I do know this. Solomon stopped making morality and faithfulness to his spouse a priority. (laughs) Only God knows, and you and I can imagine, the kind of strife and confusion this super excessive immorality brought. By the way, if he lived in our culture today, he'd be on pornography sites every day. Imagine the children growing up with an absent father. Imagine the jealousy, conflict, and insecurity these wives endured. Imagine the feelings of being used instead of valuable. 
Think about the confusion over Solomon's inheritance. May God help you and I in an immoral culture that does not value marriage to be committed to morality and faithfulness to our spouse. Listen to me tonight. You say, Brother Wally, how do I do that? Make sure, if you're here tonight and you are married, make sure you are not available at any time or in any way. Did you hear me? You are not available at any time or in any way. See, Brother Wally, how can I do that? By the way, if you're here tonight and you're a Christian, because Satan is an enemy of marriage, I have believed all of my Christian life that if ever a Christian is willing to cheat on their spouse, Satan will find a way to make that available. Remember that verse I had highlighted there? You ought to highlight that in your verse. Uh, Proverbs 6, verse 26, the end of it. The adulteress will hunt. That's a strong word. Will hunt the precious life. Um, By the way, ladies, if you're married, the adulterer, the, the male version of that, he will hunt the precious life. That's your life. Brother Wally, how, how can I make sure that I'm not available? I've got a few practical suggestions. Uh, stop taking your spouse and your marriage for granted. Invest in keeping yourself and your marriage healthy. Don't be one of these people who sits there and says, you know what, it can never happen to me or my marriage, because as soon as that's your attitude, it makes you ripe for it to happen to you. Brother Wally, how, how, can, I, how can I do that? Uh, how about stop idolizing the values and marriages of famous people? In case you hadn't noticed, they break up at alarming rates. Uh, which really tells anybody who's thoughtful that, you know what, beauty... Figure, wealth, and fame are not great recipes for a good marriage. I don't care who the uh, Hollywood people are dating and married. I'm not impressed. You, you want to impress me? Talk to me about somebody who's been married 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and they still love each other. That, that impresses me. Uh, how can I do that? Talk often in your work and in uh, wherever you are in a positive way about your spouse. Let everybody know you're not available. Listen, when you talk well about your husband or wife all the time at work, what you're saying to everybody at work is, leave me alone. You know what you do when you go and you spill your beans and you don't have enough character to shut your mouth about your spouse's flaws and you go into work and you're constantly berating them and constantly talking about your problems. What you're saying subtly to the people at work is, you know what, I'm really struggling at home. I want your sympathy. I want you closer. Stop that. How about this? Uh, Wear your wedding ring at all times if possible. (laughs) And if you must take it off, put it back on as soon as you can. I understand there's some professions where it's dangerous to wear it. But listen, as soon as your hand isn't around that machine, put it back on. You say, well, my hand is swollen. Buy a bigger ring. Listen, those guys' rings, nobody buys gold rings for guys anymore. They're only 20 bucks. If you don't have the money for a wedding ring, dear brother, come to me. I'll give you 20 bucks myself. Can I do that? 
I'll request that in my next budget allotment. Say, Brother Walter, how how can I do that? How, How can I make sure that everybody knows that I'm not available? How about this? Be honest in your mind about what you get for what you lose. Look at chapter 6 and verse 32. But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding, and he that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. A wound and dishonor shall he get, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. And so you're going to trade a few minutes for destroying your soul. It affects more than your body. How do I do that? Remember what you're getting for what you get. How about this, Brother Well? How do I do that? How do I let people know I'm not available and that I value my marriage? How about stop going to lunch or spending any personal time with people of the opposite gender? Don't call or text anybody the opposite gender about anything but business and then minimize the business. And this is dumb, and, and, and I know this is over the top, but you've got to understand, um, you, you know, when I, when I got saved 32 years ago, uh, man, I, I really, I, I love the Lord, and I had a lot more zeal than, than, than sense, uh, and I, I hope I never lose all my zeal for the Lord. I hope as time goes on I get a little more sense, but I remember traveling for work, and there was, uh, I used to be in the engineering department, there was a female engineer, and she was an attractive young lady, and uh, we had to travel together one time. I don't like it at all. But I remember sitting at the dinner table, and uh, I took my school book with me, and the whole time we were sitting there, uh, I read my book. And then I placed my order, and then I read my book. I didn't even talk to her. He said, well, you're, she thinks you're a geek. Probably so. But you know what? I, I left with my marriage and my heart intact. Stop playing. Uh, how do I do that? How do I uh, show that I'm not available in any way? How about this? Be open to any checking your spouse wants to do to your phone, internet, or computer. Listen, when you're not doing anything wrong, you have nothing to hide. My, my wife is sitting right there. She knows that any time she wants, she can look at anything on my phone or my computer anytime. You say, well, Brother Wally, you're just an idiot. Don't you know that all that stuff can be erased? Why, well, you figure that out on your own? So you're sneaky and brilliant. No kidding. If you're going to be deceptive and a liar and everything else, you can do whatever you want. But I don't want to do what I want. I want to do what's going to build my home. I want to do what's going to give my wife confidence. I want to value faithfulness. I want to value morality. I want to conduct myself wisely. I want to give something different to my wife and children than an inheritance of wind. Make pleasing God your goal. When you set out to please God, you will do well in marriage. Part of living wisely in our own homes is to value morality and faithfulness to our spouse and our marriage vows. Let me ask you tonight, are you playing with your heart or guarding it? Listen, marriage is more than a political issue. We take a strong stand and we believe that homosexual marriage is not right. 
But you know, more importantly than a political issue, marriage is a personal issue. Are you really considering the end of what will happen when you don't regard morality and faithfulness? Highly valuing morality and faithfulness is a characteristic of a wise home. Let me give you a second characteristic. Turn back in your Bible to Proverbs chapter 19. I won't spend a lot of time on this, but I do want to spend a little. If you want to conduct your home wisely, number one, value morality and faithfulness to your spouse. Number two, leave an inheritance to your children and grandchildren. Proverbs 19, verse 14. 19, 14. Houses, house and riches are the inheritance of fathers, and a prudent wife is from the Lord. Notice This is contrasted what we talked about earlier. Remember when you trouble your house, you leave an inheritance of wind. Uh, When you're a godly, wise father, you leave an inheritance of house and riches. By the way, everybody leaves an inheritance. Some leave wind. Some leave stuff. And I understand that at times um, the measure of house and riches for one reason or another is not a lot. But, but listen to, to, to me, uh, there's something more important that we leave than, than houses and riches. I'll turn back to chapter 13, verse 22. It says, A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. Did you notice that it's not just an inheritance that pe- parents leave for children, it's an inheritance that grandparents leave for grandchildren. That's interesting to me. You see, when we behave ourselves wisely in life and if we choose to be diligent, our chances are good we'll leave some measure of houses and riches, and, but that's not the most important inheritance. You see, when we have a home that is blessed by the Lord and we behave ourselves wisely in our own homes, we leave an inheritance that's greater than houses or riches. Um, my... One grandma, when she passed, left each of us 14 grandchildren uh, 1200 bucks. Now, I thought that that was really nice. I didn't know that was coming and uh, went out and bought a 47-inch TV back when that was a big TV. That was really nice. Uh, but you know, to be honest with you, when I think about her and, and her life and her impact on, on my life, I don't think about that 1200 bucks, though I appreciate it. Um, I think about my other grandparents who left me nothing monetarily. <laughs> um, but I remember on, on the old farmhouse where they used to sell potatoes and apples and stuff, a sign that said, Close Sundays. And uh, I remember my old grandpa, he was 70 when I was born and I was the first grandchild. And so I didn't even know him until the dude was really old. And uh, I remember how hard he worked. I remember him laughing. I remember my mom and my grandma would be uptight about this or that, and he just would smile and go on his way. Listen. There's a greater inheritance that we leave than houses or riches. It's an inheritance of faith. 
I've had person after person talk to me about remembering their grandmother or their mom sitting in a certain chair praying or reading their Bible. I want to tell you that whether you are a CEO or whether you labor for $8 an hour all of your life, you leave something to your children. And I urge you tonight to behave yourself wisely so you don't leave an inheritance of wind. Uh, wind. Leave them something that matters. I thought uh, about Brother Carey, who passed earlier this year. Inheritance he left. He would come to me every once in a while and say, you're working too hard. Well, he'd say, you're working too hard. And I would always say the same thing to him. I said, well, you're working hard. Why can't I? And there was nothing he could say because he knew he was working hard too. I thought about Anna. How hard she worked and how faithful she was. Listen, the greatest things we leave have nothing to do with our wealth. Everybody in here can leave an inheritance of kindness and generosity and warmth and friendliness and faith and trust. And those are the things that matter. I have yet to be at a funeral and listen to the eulogy and have someone stand up and say, you know what, they gave me a new car and they left me a nice house. I'm so thankful and sit down. No one eulogizes that. Everyone eulogizes what they meant and what they did. Let me ask you tonight, are you focused on leaving houses and riches for your children or the best inheritance, an inheritance of faith and faithfulness? I remember one time I was talking to a young man. He had his own business and in this particular case, he was just spending all of his money trying to make the business work and all of his time trying to make the business work. And I began to talk to him, and he said, well, I've got a five-year business plan. I said, well, why don't you make a ten-year business plan and balance your life better and be with your family and serve God some? Listen, your grandchildren don't know what you used to do. But they watch what you do now. Do they see you do all you can? Uh, don't you remember? Oh, oh Harry uh, just hobbling in here, 95 years old, in his walker. He was on his deathbed. And he was troubled that he hadn't turned in his tithe check. And I, I said to Miss Ruth and to his daughter, I said, listen, if it will make him feel good, write me a check and I'll tear it up as soon as I walk out of here. Just let him have peace. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. To me, that's an inheritance. His wife and his sons and his daughters, they saw that. Listen, your, your children don't know what you used to do. They need to see you right now doing everything you can to show them that your faith is important to you, that Jesus matters to you, that His church is important to you, that morality and faithfulness and marriage and the things of God matter to you. Listen, every one of us here can leave this kind of an inheritance. It's the wise way to handle our home. And God blesses homes that are handled wisely. May God help us to leave the right kind of an inheritance to our children and grandchildren because that's part of behaving wisely.
in our home. Amen. If you'd quietly stand tonight.